This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Sola Mysterium, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything by Keith Giles. You know, any time you and I come to talk about God, we have to admit that we're talking about a being that transcends human understanding and comprehension. Therefore, we cannot have that conversation with any degree of certainty. We have to approach the topic from a place of humility. And so I invite you to join me in embracing the mystery of Christ and to discover the endlessly unfolding beauty of uncertainty in Sola Mysterium, available now on Amazon. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so excited to be continuing our Too Fab for Florida series. Uh, it is still going, and it's it's like a train. It will never stop. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> Did, I'm and, pretty sure trains stop. No, no, this train this train never <laughs> this stops. This train is bound it's for glory. Someone tell Keith how trains work, please. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Someone is clearly not invested in public transit on this podcast. Well, apparently, it's been a long time since I've taken a train. Have you, have you all ever seen Divergent? They just have to hop on trains in a dystopian future that oh don't gosh, stop. Yes. So maybe they that's where we stop. are. Well, there was also a movie about a train in the future. I can't remember the name of that movie. Snowpiercer. <laughs> Snowpiercer. It was horrible. Oh, oh my it. gosh. It was, what did you say was horrible? I hated that movie. Is I'm that sorry. the Bongo but, Lee one? Yes. I'm yeah, sorry. that movie wouldn't yeah. end. No. No. Sorry. Like show Y'all that. are wrong. Anyway, speaking of trains, we're off the rails already. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's, eventually. let's get this thing back on. Okay, so anyway. You're uh, Keith. <laughs> I am Keith, uh, one of the many co-hosts. I'm the author of the Jesus Un series on deconstruction and reconstruction, and just recently released Solideus, What If God Is All of Us. <laughs> and I am joined by my fabulous co-hosts. Uh, Katie, Shonda, and Matthew, please uh, say hello and get this train back on the rails. <laughs> Hey, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. You know, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but it's formal and official. Um, the contract has been signed for an edited volume where I am one of the editors called Trans Biblical. It's right in with our series. I know, like super exciting. It's very Coming exciting. out a long time from now. You'll hear you, the skywriting will be above you when the book is actually published, but super exciting. Yeah. We're bringing transgender identity and biblical interpretation together. Um, I'm also the founder and the, and the host of the metaphysical Christian, a Facebook community. So if you want to combine chakras, woo, past lives, spirituality, and not give up Jesus, come on over. We would love to have you in that Facebook group. I am Shonda Ja. You can find me over on Substack where I write about joy in justice and i am particularly excited about this series because as i have contended and i continue to contend i am too fab for florida and i am sometimes matt more often i guess than not i am more often than not matt recently and i am excited for the the third installment of this too fab for florida series and i just i just love this kind of is this activism as art is that what this would be called because i, like I love this stuff sort of. i mean yeah. So, so this is, I mean, I, you're right. This is sort of art, what we do here on the show. But yeah. um, <laughs> I think we're talking fair, about people who enough. are doing the art, but we're not yeah. necessarily the artists. Yeah. You know, I think this is art to some degree, but yeah, regardless, art. definitions, whatever, it doesn't matter. But if you do love this show and you want, and you can't get enough, I just want to remind everyone that we do have a Patreon. It is where you can support this show that is not free. It costs us. And so it is, uh, it is crowdfunded by lovely Patreon supporters. And in addition to all the cool stuff that we put on there, we, ha we have a new podcast, a once a month podcast where uh, we interview one another. Shonda has interviewed Keith. Keith has interviewed Shonda. Katie and I have interviewed each other. And then we will do a round robin when December comes back. And of course, she is coming back. She'll be involved. And it'll be just a, um, a cool look into some other things that we're interested in. So Katie and I talk about Ireland. We talk about 
hobbits and gardening and we don't want to bore everyone on 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 the show by talking about hobbits all the time so that's where we get into some i feel like stuff you do that, kind of want to but you just well, well, well i mean to. god i mean i would i would turn this whole show into a Listen, Tolkien study show, but no y'all i i get matt to talk i get matt i invite matt and he graciously accepted to talk about his spirituality what Whoa. so like join and it goes together with hobbits and gardening i so i like, feel like i was duped now you got me to be <laughs> you got played invited you and you I accepted the invitation uh-huh. no it was a love and it was a lovely conversation so if you want to listen to that patreon.com slash heretic happy hour not to mention if you sign up you get remission of sins for you and your family depending on the tier something about that but it, all good things if you do that mm. So we are back with our Two Fab for Florida series. I wanted to just do a brief reminder. You all already know all of the legislative attacks uh, going on against um, queer uh, and trans and drag queen uh, communities right now. And so this is a chance to learn a little bit about the people who are under attack, but not just about what they are navigating what we are navigating, struggling with suffering, but also the gifts that queer folks, trans folks, people, uh, uh, people in the drag community have to offer. Uh, and I think that it's been a really fun series for me. So, well, today is not going to disappoint our co-host who, who we have invited on is so dynamic, has been active in activism for nearly four decades. But this is going to be super filled with joy because if you've always wanted to meet a nun, N-U-N, a nun, but never have, this is your chance. This is a nun, not quite in drag, uh, but spreading joy everywhere that she goes. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Sister Mary Peter, and I've been called a heretic by some of the best people. Hi, Hi, Sister Mary We are so grateful to have you with us, Sister Mary Peter, especially for this series, Too Fab for Florida. And I am particularly thrilled because of all of the gifts you bring as a member of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I'm a huge fan. Uh, Really grateful for the work you have done around HIV, AIDS, queer youth, civil rights, social justice. Um, And... I know you're in the midst of a big campaign right now, so we are really grateful for your time. I would love to just jump straight in, because uh, some of our listeners are huge fans of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and some this will probably be their first time hearing about you. So I was wondering if you'd be willing to share a few key things about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence that the new fan should know. I'd be happy to, Shonda, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. The sisters were founded in 1978 in San Francisco by two longtime queer activists who had moved from Iowa. While they were there uh, on the campus of the University of Iowa, they did a drag performance of The Sound of Music, which they costumed with habits that they had secured from a convent nearby. I feel like the quotation marks around secured are very important in an audio format. Yes, and then they, more quotation marks, forgot to return them before they moved. (laughs) So it was Easter weekend in San Francisco. They had moved into the mission, gotten rid of all of their drag, but wanted to stir things up. They were bored, as Sister Vishnu says. (laughs) So they put on the habits and they walked down the main street of the Castro, which is the queer village here. And the response was electrifying. People poured out of the bars, asking them to hear their confessions, asking for blessings, Mm. way bigger reaction than they thought. Um, Being practiced activists, however, they thought we're onto something. So they explored what it would mean as non-traditional gendered people with beards and boots uh, to really take up the calling of what people would call a sister or a nun. And from there, it really exploded. Uh, One of the first things they did was a softball game, a benefit for Cuban queer refugees that were coming over in the Mariela boat boat lift. Uh, We won, by the way. Uh, Don't ever let it be said that drag nuns can't play baseball. That is, that will come up later, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Every day Uh, for me. 
every right. day. I, Constantly. I have that conversation. And then very quickly, that was about the time where Anita Bryant and the first wave mm-hmm. of fundamentalist queer protest came up. So her uh, rabble rousers came in the Castro to shout down people with shame. And one of the most iconic moments was a circle of sisters surrounded them and did can-can kicks and body songs and essentially chased them down the main street of San Francisco until they were out of the neighborhood. I have so, not seen video footage of that. I that is say, amazing. I want Un- to see that. <laughs> Unfortunately, s- cell phones were not part of the equation. Oh, but I have it on good firsthand authority. Oh, that's so uh, good. Sadly, very quickly after that initial outburst, AIDS hit the community. And it was really the sisters who were the first people to respond in a way that was accessible. So there was a lot of fear and shame and stigma around AIDS at that time. The sisters were the first people to to gather what reliable medical information they could. And they put out a cartoon pamphlet called Playfair, which talked about sexual health in very street language that people understood, that destigmatized it, that brought a little humor and kindness to the effect. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know, but they partnered with some Roman Catholic nuns Uh, Sisters of Notre Dame, who ran a small convent that was in the Castro by the traditional Catholic parish called Most Holy Redeemer, and helped put up one of the first AIDS hospices across the country. So uh, those women actually recognized in those queer men that they were doing the radical work that at that time their church was afraid to take on. And so I I think setting the table to understand the sisters, those iconic moments are important. Because in the 45 years since, in all of the countries in which we work, those themes continue. Mm -hmm. And for me, to understand the sisters, the first thing is to understand we are not mocking nuns. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would be utterly abhorrent to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up surrounded by Roman Catholic nuns, mainly from the east coast of Canada, for whom a religious vocation was an escape from Uh, the sadness of being married to a drunk fisherman and Mm. staying in poverty in their local village for the rest of their lives. These women that had a creative and intellectual spark, they took the sisterhood as their path to become academics and musicians, artists, activists, social workers. So my own vocation is grounded in the example of those strong, powerful women looking for their own liberation and the liberation of the people around them. And I think in general, the sisters as we've evolved, have really anchored our vocation in the idea, not of a gendered role, but of the role of someone who is there to hold the body of the community in tenderness and kindness and to offer life and support and healing. And now, 45 years later, the sisters really come from all aspects of our community, uh, gender queer non-binary, trans, people from all different faith and no faith beliefs, uh, people who have rigorous academic backgrounds, people who are uh, housing insecure. We really run the gamut. And we're across the United States in the last 20 years, we've had an explosion of vocations thanks to the internet uh, in places I would never have dreamed as a young boy in Toronto, uh, drag nuns would emerge, Arkansas, Southern Florida, the heart of red Texas, uh, in countries as intense as Uruguay, uh, in uh, Chile, we have interest in Mexico. So we've really kind of become a global uh, world order. And a lot of what we do is we really take time to understand that we are living a vowed life. And for people who aren't in a religious tradition, Those people who are in uh, sister roles, they take promises to themselves before the universe. And our promises are quite straightforward. We dedicate our whole lives, like the queen, however long or short, to uh, remove guilt and shame from the world and to make room for an explosion of joy and the room for people to express that in the way that is meaningful for them. That often means that we're in the face of powerful forces of shame and guilt, many of them corporate, many of them political, many of them sadly religious still, particularly in a North American context, and increasingly in Latin America and in Europe. Uh, But it also means sometimes we confront the bigotry and ignorance within the queer community. 
particularly these days around uh, different colors and race. Uh, and it just means that we're there to make people uncomfortable, but in ways that are surprising. So uh, the way I describe it is I'm uh, almost two meters tall. Uh, and then with my full habit and wimple, I'm almost seven feet. When I round a corner in a shopping mall, you're not <laughs> expecting to see that. Um, and it's in that moment of psychic disruption in surprise where with all my makeup and jewelry, which by the way, unlike the Pope, I buy myself. Um, <laughs> Although it would be only fair if the Catholic Church did cover yes. the Pope. Yes. Well, yeah. I'll send them a bill. We'll see what happens, Sean. Love it. Love that idea. But in that moment of surprise, I'm able to get into your heart before you can put up your defenses. And I'm able to engage you in that broken place or that frightened place or wounded place and just slip in a word of kindness or a body joke or just a moment of compassion and lift you up. Um, I wear a mirror on a chain as part of my vocation. I got rid of the cross ages ago. And when people see me, they often say, sister, you're so beautiful or, oh my God, you're amazing. And I take the mirror because I see myself as a sister, as a reflection of the person I'm engaged with and the joy and the beauty and the courage, maybe in this moment, they're not able to claim or they don't have the space to express. So from that very first moment where these two activists went out into the Castro and it was the community that showed them how powerful being a non-gender conforming nun could be to now, the reality of being a sister of perpetual indulgence is rooted in relationship. Uh, I am a nun, not only because I take vows, to be a servant of joy, but because you see me. And in that exchange, we open up space for something bigger to happen. Uh, what I love now is that since we've exploded across the world, lots of people who don't have Roman Catholic or Protestant beliefs are part of the order, particularly indigenous folks who are coming into our culture. I'm, I'm Canadian. I'll out myself there. Um, <laughs> you you did when you said you that already you were two did. meters <laughs> tall. Yes. Oh, there you go. Um, and also the way you said out just now, we, we already knew. You're going to oot yourself. But, uh, but, but in my home country, we've had a profound reckoning of the damage the churches have done in indigenous culture, uh, particularly in the residential school system, which was really a collaboration between government and church to obliterate uh, indigenous culture. And in that context for First Nations people, the image of a nun triggers a violent response because they were really the vanguard of oppression. Mm. And so what I really love about the 21st century and the way sisterhood is being understood is some of our indigenous members are reinterpreting the role even more broadly. And so in a lot of two-spirited places, the concept of the auntie, right? The gender non-conforming, slightly older person who takes care of all the kids and everybody, that's emerging as another way of expressing sisterhood. So as we chat, what I want to do is I want to honor those foundational themes that continue to be expressed. But I really want to talk about my excitement of how every generation of none and every different context is really reimagining and reinterpreting that relationship and giving us new life. I, I have lived as a sister for more than 37 years now. And whether I'm made up and in my habit or I'm just walking down the streets uh, dressed like a schlub, um, that, that concept of how am I opening space for joy is always with me. And so I hope people who are listening really understand um, we take this seriously, even as we're, we're, we're being completely uh, disrespectful and humorous. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, it is a life. It is a chosen life and a path through the world. Uh, that gives us meaning and purpose. So thank you for asking, Sean. I love that. I love that. And, you know, it's interesting because I think the very, you know, long before, uh, I think when I was still living in Akron, um, uh, my first encounter with the sisters was honestly watching that PBS series, um, uh, Tales of the City, right? Based on Armistead Maupin's book and seeing as just in passing, right? Nuns skating down, uh, the street and um, 
15 years later, uh, when a friend of mine got installed as the pastor of the Metropolitan Community Church in San Francisco, I got to preside over communion with one of the sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and have seen all of the amazing work you all do. And I think it's interesting because a lot, some of the folks I know who ha- only have a passing knowledge uh, of the sisters are like, oh, yeah, fantastic drag troupe, right? And that's kind of, you know, the Hunky Jesus contest, all of that stuff, uh, which if you have not celebrated an Easter involved with a hunky Jesus contest, uh, you're missing out on a really sacred experience. <laughs> um, and, and I do think that that would be amazing. And what you've just shared is how does it need to be categorized? Does, 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 you know, do the sisters fall into the category of drag? Are they drag plus? Are they something completely different? Are they all of it? Um, where does it fall? Um, just so Ron DeSantis knows who to arrest. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I don't think he'll have any trouble. He basically <laughs> takes the paddy wagon out. And if you're standing there, he'll arrest you. <laughs> um, so I'm not too worried about that. I, I think the way I would see a sister is drag is part of the toolkit that we use. So I would never claim to be a drag queen nun. Uh, I'm a booga drag kid from the provinces. My makeup is crap. It always has been. I'm proud of that. Um, But drag queens for me represent sort of a really transformative beauty in the culture. It's an honoring of women in a way that is very unique. And also drag queens bring attention to themselves. They're performing. There's a role, a persona. Uh, I think a sister takes the elements of drag to create that space for surprise and conversation. But a good sister is not doing a performance or playing a role. A sister is really amplifying and magnifying all the different parts of my personality. And then putting that back out, as I said before, as a mirror to get you to think about who you are and Mm. what you're doing and what the community does look like and could look like if we work together. So I think that's subtle nuance. We do have sisters who do drag performances. That's part of their shtick. I think it's fabulous. But I'd say the calling of a sister is a little different. It's using these tools and tropes, but in a very different way to have a conversation. I love that. Thank you. You alluded earlier to your to your Catholic background and being surrounded by amazing nuns. And uh, I also I went to Catholic school until like seventh grade. Um, so I also met many amazing nuns. Um, And I don't, I don't, actually, I was so young. I don't know their backgrounds. I'd be curious now. Tiny little order in Louisiana. But uh, I'm curious how you became a sister. Can you just tell us the story of, of how you began in that Catholic context in Canada and became a, became Sister Mary Peter? I sure can. Thank you, Katie. Uh, So it was the early eighties and it was the height of the AIDS pandemic in Toronto Uh, I was very active in a group called ACT UP at the time and Queer Nation, which is a very militant political group uh, fighting HIV and AIDS, looking for access to medication and treatment. I was also living in an intentional community called L'Arche, which was rooted in a Catholic theology. Young people primarily were living with people with developmental disabilities and trying to create community under the idea that folks who are differently abled have a strength in their heart and wisdom that maybe the the mainstream culture needs. And then just because I'm annoying and uh, thick-headed, I decided I should get a divinity degree. So I was at the University of Toronto uh, studying for my master's. uh, And no surprise, I started to have a breakdown because that's a lot. Um, And I was working as a researcher at the Lesbian and Gay Archives in Toronto cataloging. And at the time, I found a shoebox filled with clippings from the local queer paper and photos of men dressed as nuns. Nobody knew what this was. Uh, I kept asking around, but something in this image of these bearded men dressed as nuns, many of the photos taken at our AIDS hospice, the Wellesley Hospital, Church Wellesley Hospital, that lit a fire in me. And... Not long after that moment, when I was having a breakdown, a friend said, you, you need a pause. Uh, it was uh, early summer, and uh, if you know the radical fairies, 
they have sanctuaries in rural areas and they hold big celebrations on the traditional pagan solstice and other festivals. He gave me car keys and said, there's a celebration happening at the Ferry Sanctuary in Tennessee. Go down there, just take a break. So I did. And it was my fortune when I parked, the first person I met was this short little guy with a big gray beard, uh, dressed in wellies and a tutu, who said, <laughs> lovely, lovely, you're here. Um, I need help feeding the goats. Put your stuff down. Uh, you can stay with me. Wow. So fed goats. That was a new experience. Um, and then I stayed in his house called Three Sisters. And this shows you in my 20s how thick I was. No clue, right? There's the first hint the universe is dropping. But mm. we started talking over the course of these days, and uh, he introduced himself as Mish. He talked about being a founder of the sanctuary, what radical fair spirituality meant. It was about a day and a half in where I was pouring my soul out about I'm living in intentional community. I'm doing a master's degree with academic rigor. I'm trying to be at the front line of AIDS. And I've seen this image of gay male nuns, and it just excites me. He just started stroking his beard and said, well, honey, uh, you know, Mish is short for Missionary P. Delight. I'm the founder of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence in San Francisco. It's nice to meet you. Let's have a conversation. That's no, amazing. I'm serious. Uh, Thick-headed people, I think, have a special grace where the universe moves you where you need to be because you'll never get there on your own. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, over the course of like the week together, it was just a profound formation. And at the bonfire for Solstice, uh, there were a couple other queer nuns there. And I chose the name Mary Peter, M-E-R-R-Y, because there are plenty of Marys running around unconscious in the community. Um, and he veiled me and gave me the mission to go and rebuild the lost convent of Toronto. It turned out there had been the second order in the world was in Toronto after San Francisco. Hmm. But being Canadian, they got some flack. Mm. And so because of a letter to the editor, they decided to be polite and disband. <laughs> Can you believe to say it? They were afraid they were being impolite. <laughs> That's Canadian. That was totally. That's ever, is it really Canadian. <laughs> and just a couple years later, they had disappeared from view. Nobody, nobody really knew who they were. So... Um, Mary Peter honors two things in my life. The word Mary honors the fact that the fairies brought me to my vocation, because often in fairy circles, Mary meet, Mary part, Mary meet again as a greeting. Mm. And Peter was the name I had chosen for my confirmation. Uh, and I did not have an easy confirmation. I had a conservative bishop. Uh, and let's just say I was a little too gay for the diocese. And so I basically chose the name Peter because I thought if he can best Jesus by being crucified upside down, I'm going to show <laughs> you what I can do, you bureaucratic son of a bitch. So, um, but also the fact that Mary Peter, the initials were MP, it was a way of honoring missionary P. Delight, who many people called MP, because really in many ways, Mish became my mother on this vocation. So I went back to Toronto, and it was after I crossed the border I realized, uh, bitch gave me a mission, but no manual. How, <laughs> what the hell does it mean to be a drag nun rebuilding the lost convent? Like, what the hell is that? So um, I got drunk one night and was talking to some theater friends, and before we knew it, we'd sketched out a habit and Aww. sort of some basic ideas. Uh, so my original habit, I had a mother patrill kind of flying nun wimple, yes. big mm -hmm. purple cassock. I wow. did a scapular with sequin chakras, spirals of the colors of the yeah. chakras. Wow. And I had a big purple cord at the end of which was a 10-inch glittering purple dildo. Uh, oh. Because I thought, that <laughs> seems right. Perfect. Um, <laughs> and, you know, nobody tells you how to start, but... The way I decided to start as a nun was I walked out into the street. I lived in the queer village at the time. And I walked up a street called Church in Maitland, which is where young queer kids were uh, doing sex work. It was a very notorious neighborhood. It happened to be my front yard. Uh, I hadn't got a block before these kids started to read me. They're like, what is this? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because those kids are sharp and, and see you've got an angle. So they were trying to figure out the angle. Mm -hmm. um, I had a grouping of them following me by the time I got to the main street. 
And I sat on these steps outside of a coffee house called the Second Cup. It was sort of the hangout place. And before I knew it, I had an audience. Uh, and the next thing I know, we're having a conversation. People very much like on Easter weekend said, sister, hear my confession. Oh, give me a blessing. Blah, blah. Right. You know, and they were kind of, they were tweaking me a little bit like, oh yeah, you're a nun. Yeah, let's see how this goes. Yeah. I swear within 15 minutes, people were starting to seriously unburden their souls. Mm -hmm. uh, there was something in the iconic image and there was something about that I was sitting on the steps in the street where it just opened space. Uh, and the next thing I know, people are asking for a blessing. I'm like, what am I doing? I had a glitter emergency kit in my pocket, right? To you know, freshen up. I started taking my thumb and giving people glitter bindies. Yes. And saying things like, go and sin some more. <laughs> <laughs> go go and tell someone you love them today. Mm. Walk away from your oppressor. Don't mm -hmm. let people hurt you anymore. Yeah. You're beautiful. You're precious. A very privileged thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And then, of course, that led to a bunch of stuff that led to um, working with the provincial health ministry to distribute condoms and safe sex kits to these uh, sex working kids, working with the only um, queer positive high school equivalency program in the province to get these kids funneled into education and job opportunities. And then the local bar asked if I would do bingo. And I'm like, do, do nuns do bingo? And they're like, well, nuns are Catholic, right? I'm like, some of them you know, do bingo. I'm like, okay. That's kind of uh, so I started doing calling bingo on weekends and raising money. Uh, so those were the origins. That was the, that was the 80s. And I will tell you, it was not obvious to be a, a, a gay male identified drag nun. At the time the MCC church was getting started, the pastor there hated me mm. uh, because MCC at the time wanted to be more Christian than the Christians and just mm -hmm. good little boys and girls. I was ruining it for everybody. Uh, the drag queens loved me, but they're like, why a nun girl? Like put on a wig, right? right? right. And the people that actually got me were all these uh, Latino drag queens that came up like from Brazil, yeah. Salvador, Guatemala. That was at the time the Reagan administration was causing havoc and people were coming to Canada. Yeah. They understood uh, none, religious, Spanish backgrounds, make it work. And so I found a real reception in the Latino community. And then I never was successful at rebuilding the convent since people have been working on it, but I had what I called contract hit nuns. When I had a big event, <laughs> I'd give people 24-hour temporary vows. They would dress up as a nun. They'd help me schlep stuff from point A to point B or get out and bucket people for fundraisers. And then at midnight, poof, they went back to being regular people. Um, Cinderella, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I moved to Toronto just over almost 25 years ago, or I moved from San Francisco to uh, sorry, I moved from Toronto to San Francisco about 25 years ago. And that's when I discovered, oh, my God, it's this network like syphilis. It's spread to every part of the gay body and uh, we're doing tremendous damage. And uh, I want to be a part of this. Yes. Um, I was not welcomed when I came here, to be honest. People mm. at the time in San Francisco felt it was a bit like the Vatican. And so these random nuns that would pour in from the provinces were were viewed with a lot of suspicion. So even though I had been a nun for 10 years, uh, they made me a novice again. Wow. And, and then, of course, ironically, I wouldn't give that up because there's so much permission to being a novice. There's no responsibility. So they finally had to drag <laughs> me kicking and screaming uh, back into my profession. But uh, that's a little bit of how that all started. That's amazing. Thank that's, you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Well, um, Sister Mary, uh, Peter, we are doing this series and uh, I think we're calling this Too Fab for Florida. And uh, what's something we're really excited about is the work that the sisters are doing, um, standing up, pushing back and the activism and things like that. So uh, we would love to hear any stories that you would like to share with us along those lines and also any advice for our listeners who also want to uh, help uh, fight back. Thank you, Keith. The first thing, I'll just use the example of the kerfuffle with the L.A. Dodgers that happened this summer. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
you don't have to look for opportunities. You just walk in the world as yourself and the haters will find you. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in L.A. Um, after a long time of doing community work, the Dodgers, as part of their queer sort of outreach program, wanted to honor us with an award. We, we tend not to seek those, but it was it was a nice thing. And we decided it would be um, a good way of celebrating the community. But then uh, a man named Donahue as part of the Catholic League, a pretty mm-hmm. virulent hate group got word of it and connected with Fox News and a few other agencies and the hate machine took over, put a lot of pressure on the Dodgers. Unfortunately, their allyship was a little vague. They caved Hmm. and then the community rallied. And Keith, the thing for me after over 30 years of doing this, so many young people, so many trans-identified people came out to bat for the sisters, particularly on TikTok and social media. Mm -hmm. And many of them started with, I don't really know these people, but I've read about them or I've seen them. This is amazing stuff and we need to stick together because they're not attacking sisters, they're attacking all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That revolutionary consciousness really alerted me to a change that's happening. And then of course, everybody got on side, the Dodgers reconsidered, Uh, we had an event. Uh, even though there were protesters outside. And then the end of that is they gave us an award and now they're thinking about doing a Christian family day later uh-huh. in the fall. Fine. Mm. Fair uh, enough. We won't, we won't protest that, but we might show up with our families. That's right. So Yes. I, what I the hell is a most... Christian family day? Uh, yeah, well, we'll see Katie, huh? I, I guess <laughs> it has to do with baseball. Um, <laughs> Jesus was a famous fan. Yeah. Like literally, what do you do? Strikes. I don't know. That sounds so boring. Okay. But when you talk about <laughs> activism, the thing I want to really talk about is the sisters are involved where we're needed. So if there's a need, we show up. In Florida, particularly Keith, we're really involved uh, working against the anti-trans bans, the racism that's happening. We're on the streets. We're in colleges. We're working in the legislature. We're very active in Tennessee. Anti-trans bins have come in. Same in okay. Texas. Uh, and I think I think what's happening is the queer community. You know, we lost a lot of people, and so we lost a lot of wisdom. Yeah. And corporate pride was sort of the stopgap for a while, but that only goes so far when you're talking about profits and pride. And then backlash is part of the American experience. Well, it's happening now. And backlash teaches people they're never coming for just one group. They're coming for all of you. Yes. And when they come for all of you, people start to go, maybe we should talk to each other and work a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about being a sister is if everybody hates us, it's a good starting place. So uh, (laughs) we can engage other people without an agenda and really make space for them. And so we bring a lot of wisdom around how to do guerrilla theater how to lobby people, how to bring attention to an issue, how to use social media in ways that capture eyeballs and attention. And so a lot of what's been happening with us is we've been getting engaged in these campaigns and bringing our unique toolkit to educate, support, and uh, prepare people for the fight. And there's some things I'm involved in right now, if there's time I'd love to talk about. Yeah, sure. Uh, Some of it is in the indigenous community. There is a a sister in Arizona named Edie Navajo George, a Navajo, who is a part of the Diné Nation. A lot of people um, speak of them as the Navajos. Uh, She's working with the Indian, um, the Phoenix Indian Center, providing health care for people. She helps organize Diné Pride and has led drag performances by drag artists across many tribal nations, Comanche, Apache, Cree, Navajo. Hmm. Um, She's also part of the two-spirited pageant community, which if you haven't tuned into this yet, uh, you need to be aware that the traditional powwows of Native communities have become an organizing network for two-spirited queer people. Hmm. Uh, And she's currently the reigning Miss Montana, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so, So definitely check out what's going on in Indigenous communities. Uh, Clyde Hall, who's a Shoshone Meti person in Idaho, Clyde has been working for decades on reclaiming Native traditions and making them open to queer people. And he leads an organization called the um, Naraya Cultural Preservation Council, and they run dances across the country. 
that are called the Dances for All People that gather people in dance and song in traditional ways around what they call the Tree of Life. And the whole focus of that is to get people to peace, collaboration, cooperation, and to heal the world. So Clyde Hall and the NCPC, or the Naraya Cultural Preservation Council, is another place where queer two-spirited people are doing amazing work. Mm. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Bonnie Violet, who's a queer pastor, a trans femme, genderqueer chaplain in Boise, Idaho. Um, Bonnie is putting together a spirituality, Dragon Spirituality Summit, October 13th and 14th. Uh, You can find out about it at dragandspirituality.com. Bonnie has a unique vision of how gender, drag, and particularly Christian spirituality come together in ways that are a pathway for liberation. And then two other folks I want to talk about that I work a lot with. John Brett is a Lutheran minister in San Francisco. Yay. He's part of the so night John's ministry. someone who introduced the two of us. I've been a huge fan of John's for a while, yeah. Me too. Get him to get his ordination done, Shonda. He's distracted. <laughs> um, but we'll they're, running, they're running what they call an open sangha. So uh, the night ministry is a lot of queer folks in ministry working with unhoused and housing insecure people. On the third Monday of the month, the next one, September 18th at 6 p.m. in UN Plaza, they host meditation for unhoused people on the streets. They also do evangelical work and they hold drag masses during Pride right at 18th and Castro. If you want to think about getting your spirituality outside of the box, that's a great way to break it open. And then uh, Flamey Grant, I don't know if you know that name. Yep. Yes, we do. Yeah, so Matthew Blake Lovegood. Matthew is a drag performer that goes under the name Flamey Grant. He's actually been on the Christian billboard charts mm-hmm. with his work. Yeah. But they're doing amazing, amazing work liberating the songbook for queer Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can check them out. They're everywhere on social media. And finally, I just want to acknowledge uh, 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 Reverend Diana Wheeler, who's an Episcopal deacon in the Diocese of San Francisco. Diana has founded something called the Companions of Dorothy the Worker, which is an intentional community of people with traditional religious vocations in an ecumenical setting that are creating intentional community together to support each other. Often queer people remain marginalized within institutional Christianity, particularly in streams of ordination. So they offer support to one another And their focus is really to uplift queer people within their churches and within their communities. So uh, Companions of Dorothy the Worker uh, is something I would check out. She's moving to St. Louis at the end of the month uh, to to continue the work there. So uh, for me, that's a little bit of a snapshot of where Sister is working right now and some of the exciting things that I think are happening in our community. Yeah, I'm really grateful for it, particularly because um, there's... There's so much power in us coming together, and we do have so many ways we can make a big difference in our uh, in our little community. Um, it's funny because we had been talking about whether we might be able to get Flamey Grant on uh, for this series. Um, so we're I working on it. Working on we're it. trying. <laughs> <laughs> Promise her lunch and and uh, share some of her songs, and you'll get farther. You know what? We I will we it. will buy her lunch and uh, we'll share her songs far and wide. One 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 thing, Shonda, that you reminded me, I want to mention. You yeah. know, I worked with um, queer Mennonites a while ago when they had their big convention in San Jose. They were so dispirited because they could not get a table. Uh, the, the church would not give them a table at the um, the fair that was part of the, the event. So we worked with them and we produced at no charge a bunch of pink stickers with their logo on it. And the night before, went in and put those stickers on everything that wasn't nailed down. So when the church convention began the next day, rather than not having a table, the church saw that every table belonged to queer people. I love it. That was a really teachable moment for me because so often, particularly as uh, evangelical and fundamentalist Christians are trying to understand themselves, there's this sense that they are on the margin of their church or on the outside looking in. 
And the lesson that the Mennonites taught me is queer people are at the heart of the church. And if the church is not listening to them and embracing them and working to find their spirituality, it's the church that suffers. Uh, another person that taught me that, Chris Page, is a pastor in Philadelphia. Chris identifies as otherwise. It's a whole new way of looking at trans identity based on a fluid spirituality. They have a book out called Otherwise Christianity that I'd really recommend for people who are listening. Insightful theology from the trans experience, insightful ways of collaborating. They're doing amazing uh, work with people in terms of building up activism within the trans and Christian community. There's a lot going on. And I think the churches are the ones in most risk today, which is why I think the backlash is so strong, because I think they understand that. And they're trying to use violence and oppression to stop a movement that I think is unstoppable. That's super helpful. Keith and I were just talking the other day about how it would be really great if we could do a series on um, activism, right, uh, for uh, for our audience who want to be engaged in making a better world. Sounds like Chris would be a great person to talk to. So listen, I wanted to, first off, I wanted to note as we were talking about all of the amazing work and solidarity work and uh, resistance work and um, all of those things, I wonder I, I wanted to mention to our audience, some of you all have a, had a chance to listen to an episode a while back where we featured uh, the Reverend Jim Matulski as one of our heretics of the week. And he has been beatified by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. He is a saint of the church. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I think, among all of the amazing radical activist accolades he has, is the one that I have heard him brag about. Uh, mm -hmm. He tends to be incredibly humble about all of the uh, recognitions he's gotten for some pretty powerful uh, organizing and activism. Uh, and the one that he will let you know as quickly as possible is, guess what? I am a saint, uh, according to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So I wanted to give him a <laughs> shout out and uh, make a reference that some of our audience members would know. You know, one of the things, Sister Mary Peter and I, uh, when you and I were talking, I had kind of talked a lot about um, my my engagement with the sisters has been very much as this kind of beautiful, magical intersection of sacred and profane. And you were like, you know, not everybody who's a sister would identify as connecting with the sacred. I was uh, thinking about an, an ex of mine who identified as a secular Jew, not religious, very ambivalent about my being religious, but uh, they were a born and bred San Franciscan who had seen all of this joy as resistance that the sisters had created their entire life. And they said they dreamt of joining the sisters if it would be appropriate for a non-binary femme to be a part of that movement. And I'm really struck by, um, by the space the sisters create for such a diversity of perspectives on spirituality, even though I have always thought of it as kind of a spiritual uh, movement in the midst of all of its uh, beautiful irreverence. Do you think of the sisters as religious or secular or all of the above or something completely separate from all of that? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm very much a both-and kind of girl. Uh, and when I pray, I pray on a broadband. So anybody listening who can help, I'm perfectly happy to light a candle and give a, a libation. So I love it. You sh I should disclose that. But I think, it's, I think there's a question of language and the binary, Shonda. Mm -hmm. And we're deconstructing the binary in so many ways. It's time to do it around these concepts of secular and spiritual, profane, mm -hmm. and sacred. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. You know, the, the radicality of the Jesus movement was Jesus came in and said, you want to know the Father? Feed your siblings. Yeah. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Build it here. Thank you very much. And I think this kind of, this separation of the sacred and the profane what did AIDS teach us, if anything? The human body is where the drama of the universe unfolds. And the bitterness of this profound death that came through the struggle for intimate connection. 
and the transformation that that created in terms of activism, culture, spirit, self-understanding. We're in that moment again today. And I think too often we get stuck being defined by, air quotes, the religious right, uh, which is anything mm. but. And mm. I think we need to really understand that we own this conversation in a way they don't understand. Uh, the most radical thing you can do is wake up every morning and try to be a good person. Mm. It's not easy, right? Try to make intimate connection with other people. So I think the sacred and the profane, they sleep together every day. Uh, they flip being top and bottom. Uh, I think it's just, you know, Tuesday, spirituality's on top. Wednesday, well, they're on the bottom. Thursday, they're looking for a thruple. I mean, you know, that's kind of how we are today. Uh, and it's really important because right now in this cultural moment, everything is falling apart. If, if you haven't noticed through the wildfires and the floods and the earthquakes, we're kind of at end stage capitalism. Uh, it's not going to get better. Uh, so all the authorities that we used to rely on to give us meaning are all bankrupt, corrupt, and useless. So the authority we're looking for is one I think evangelical listeners will listen to, my own experience and my personal connection to the divine. Mm -hmm. Am I going to trust my experience? Yes or no. Am I going to trust that I can share my experience with others and that's going to be a life-giving, transformative path for liberation? I think so, right? So again, reshaping this, even the concept of the heretic, um, the only thing, the word heretic simply means you believe differently than the majority of people. The stigma is something the oppressor puts in that word and puts you on the defensive. I'm proud if you call me a heretic. I think it's it's revealing that you have a slightly medieval way of looking at the world, but that's on you. Um, but I'm happy that I think a little differently because it means I've had a broader set of experiences. I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of cool people. I wouldn't get to do that if I wasn't a nun. I'd just be stuck in a day job, uh, you know, eating Subway sandwiches. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, I think that's really important. Uh, to really radically claim again the authenticity of our experience and, and to profoundly proclaim that as the gospel of good news in a time when mm -hmm. everything is breaking down. You know, if you want to trust a clerical class, trust them because they are sharing from their authentic experience. If you want to be part of a church community, be part of it because they are embracing who you are and making space for you to discover something wonderful and share that with the world. If they are not doing that, follow Jesus' example, shake the dust from your shoes and keep on walking, girl, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I was profoundly influenced by Jalaluddin and Rumi when I was struggling with all of this. And one of the things um, he writes in his poetry is, I have been rowing and rowing and rowing. Mm. And now I realize I am the ocean. Mm. I have been knocking and knocking and knocking to get into the building, but I live in the world. The building is a small room. Let's, let's unpack what Christian means. Let's unpack what religious or secular means. You're the ocean, honey. Mm. Be the ocean. Gulp it in right? And then, and then live in this kind of tidal force uh, of transformation and joy. Um, mm. If you want to be a nun, it doesn't matter what your starting place is. You have to ask yourself the question, do I want to make the world a more joyful place? If you do, you have to be prepared for the test of being a sister. Being a sister is like putting your life in a crucible. Because whatever you're trying to hide from yourself or the world on day two of walking out in makeup and drag, people are going to point it out to you. Mm -hmm. So that's why I mean, you can't perform as a sister. You can't put on a persona. People are going to call you out. Like that very first day I walked on the streets of Toronto and all those kids were like reading me up and down. Mm -hmm. going, what are you trying to prove? Mm -hmm. Well, almost 30 some odd years later, I'm still answering that question getting to a deeper level of authenticity because to be a servant of joy is different than pursuing happiness. 
you know, happiness is this fleeting high you get when you get your paycheck or a good fuck. Joy is this hard-won equanimity where anything happening I can hold in my heart and I can use it as a point of connection with other people. If that's what you want your life to look like, sisterhood might be for you. But don't get hung up on the drag. Don't get hung up on the spirit, secular thing. Get excited about making the world a more joyful place. Sister Mary Peter, I have what I think is a very short question. How long does it take you to put on your um, wimple and have it? I can do booga drag in the rear view mirror of my car in under 10 minutes. Impressive. If I want to look at all pretty, it's going to take a little longer and it may involve a village. But uh, <laughs> 10 minute booga drag out of the car, I got it. So there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in San Francisco who know me in my underwear because they've seen me put my habit on right <laughs> And I'm okay with that. Yes. So is San Francisco. <laughs> yes, right. And um, so Sister Mary Peter, if you bumped into Ron DeSantis today, what would you say to him? Not much, because he's not willing to hear anything. Mm-hmm. What I would say is to the people standing around him, be not afraid. Go preach the good news of your life. This man is but a speck of dust, a moat in the eyeball of the universe. He will pass. But fight mm-hmm. like hell. And yeah. don't don't give him power just because he can control a microphone. Yeah. And maybe hold up the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if that would work. I, I think if I held <laughs> For it up the people to, around him. Yeah. I think if I held yeah. it up to his wife, his wife never looks terribly happy. I think she's on to something. Mm. Uh, so maybe wow. maybe we can amplify the work that she's doing mm-hmm. and liberate her. You know? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Wow. Well, uh, Sister Mary Peter, your if your mission is to spread joy, you have accomplished that today. Okay. Uh, I, this has just been a wonderful conversation, and it's been amazing to get to know you. Um, for our listeners who can't get enough and they want to want to connect with you uh, and want to learn more about you in particular and about the sisters in general, how could they and should they do that? Oh, Keith, that is so adorable. If I were closer, I would tweak your nipples right now and show you what joy really feels like. Okay. You can, uh, you can get to know the sisters through our website, www.thesisters.org. That also is a great way to connect to all the different orders across uh, the United States and the world. Uh, I'm on Facebook. My uh, alternate sister name is Shameful, Shameless Media Whore. Um, so I'm at Mary Peter, M-E-R-R-Y Peter, and I'm on Instagram at Sister Mary Peter, all one word. Uh, mm. I'm working on TikTok, but I just have too many things going on to make small yeah. videos, mm-hmm. but I'll get yeah. there. Yes. Uh, but I, but I'd love to connect with people and social media is a wonderful tool to do that. Although at some point I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, maybe buy you breakfast. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. I love it. Well, this has been so great. Thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your story, and uh, and sharing so much joy. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Can't thank well, you enough. Keith thank you. Well, Keith and Katie, Matthew, and Shonda, thank you. Can I just say as we're leaving, never underestimate the power of your own beauty and your own questioning uh, and your own daily lived experience. Just every day be honestly who you are because like today, you create this beautiful crucible in which magic happens. And uh, I really want to celebrate you in that. I want to thank you for that, honor that, and say, keep going. Uh, You're doing wonderful work. Mm, That was really, really inspiring and beautiful. And I kind of wanted to keep going. I I really, really enjoyed that conversation. I'm 100% taking her out for lunch when I'm back in San Francisco. Yes, I feel that was one of the more, I mean, not to diminish anything else we do on this show, but that was... Profound. Mm-hmm. I call I call Sister Mary for my nomination for Heretic of the Year, and I've said it first. So like right there, that is my that is my submission. And I mean that like very tight. You did say it first, uh, so that none of the rest of us could I see you. I see, that's right. Petty. Yes. You can tell when somebody's a part of a sibling group. <laughs> that's right. Shotgun. I've been, I've been, I guess I've tried for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful wow this was so great um well uh everybody thank you all for uh 
sitting through another amazing episode of this fabulous Too Fab for Florida series. Um, there was more to come, and um, but we want to know what you thought about it. So we would love to hear your reaction to this episode, and we would invite you to do that over at Heresy After Hours, our uh, Facebook group. And um, yeah, let's leave a comment. Let us know what you thought, what you think about the series so far. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we will. We can't always guarantee we'll respond, but we would definitely uh, are curious about it. And if we can, we'd like to interact with you over there. So go over there and check that out. Well, if you if you tag us, we generally will respond. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Also, very, very grateful for all of you who have already rated and reviewed us. As you know, it is how uh, people like you find people like us. There is a big incentive. If you have not already rated and reviewed us, please do so and email our producer, Matt, Matthew at choir, Q-U-O-I-R.com, to let him know you did review it, and he will email you a free ebook and Matt's day job is as a publisher, so it's probably going to be good. One of his day jobs. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. It's probably going to... I love the confidence, Shonda. It's probably, <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably going to be good. Uh, I, I feel like I always have to hedge my bets a little bit. Well, but, you know, yeah. I mean, it is true. I mean, we do publish Keith, so, you know, you oh. never know. Oh, oh damn. Burn. Got him across the bow. I'm kidding. Keith, Keith's a wonderful author from what Amen. I hear. Yeah. <laughs> He's just getting me back because I wrote the I wrote the forward to the one of the bonfire sessions. And he roasted my ass. Oh, I did. No. It was so much fun. I actually made myself laugh as I was writing it. And I was like... <laughs> I, I laughed. I laughed. And then I got to the end. I was like, that was mean. <laughs> I thought I turned it around, though. I thought it starts off mean, well, but then I think it lands in a in a good place, though. It, yeah, it crash lands in a nice <laughs> oh, Beautiful. You can tell this business is doing well lately, folks. Oh, yeah. It feels like somebody took bonfire too literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people are. Storching him. 